Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books and Hindu Studies podcast, the podcast channel on New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran, and today I have the distinct pleasure uh, of speaking with not one and not two, but three editors of a really exciting new uh, Bloomsbury publication, Bollywood Horrors, Religion, Violence, and Cinematic Fears in India. I had the pleasure of speaking with Brian Collins, Aditi Sen, and Ellen Goldberg. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having us. This is really, really a, a wonderful thing. Yes, it is a wonderful thing. And, and uh, as I said, I've never had three folks, uh, I guess four of us all together at the same time, but, but uh, these, are, these are innovative times we live in. So that was the voice of Ellen Goldberg, for those of you who may not know uh, that. Hi, this is Aditi. <laughs> That's Aditi. And Brian Collins, you may be familiar uh, with because we've interviewed him on his Parashurama book a couple months ago. Right. So, you know, the obvious question, I mean, I ask this question for every book, but maybe it's a little more prescient question than usual. Bollywood horrors, religion, violence, and cinematic fears in India. How did this project come about? What's the genesis of this fascinating idea? Ellen, I would ask you to start, or do you want me to start? Sure. I, I, sure. Um, you know, I don't know where to start exactly, because there's a, there's a bit of a history to this, to this but to make it short... Um, uh, it, it's born out of a deep friendship, I think, between Aditi and I. And um, we organized a panel at the American Academy of Religion in San Antonio, Texas, in, I guess it was 2016, uh, just, uh, just after the 2016 U.S. election. And um, the four panelists who were on uh, uh, that were um, uh, Kathleen Erndl, Aditi Sen, Brian Collins, and myself. And uh, we met afterward and decided that this was such a successful panel that we should turn it into a book. And we all agreed um, uh, about that. And then about three months later, um, February, I'm not exactly sure what date it was, uh, we got word that Kathleen had passed away. And I think this in some ways fortified DT and I uh, that we should definitely not only continue with the book, but also then dedicated to her memory. It was kind of a legacy of her scholarship and um, her, her, I think, profound love of, of Bollywood. So um, that's how this got started. And then in the process, because Brian was the only other panelist who was there at the original uh, uh, AAR panel, um, we decided that it was, it, it was appropriate and right. And we, we loved him and we wanted to include him as one of the editors. So that's how this sort of got started. Did I miss <laughs> well, you know, Ellen and I have very different uh, ideas of horror. So I think that was one of the main things that decided on the theme of the book. So I am a very traditional horror fan. I like my ghosts and spooks. And I would, and she is not as such such a great horror fan. So I would keep telling her, try watching this, try doing that. And she always said, but for me, you know, this kind of real violence, something like this is way more horrifying. So that's when, when we were discussing of putting the panel, that was one of the first things that she said, 
why don't we extend our definition of horror so that you and I, so as she says, friendship is at the center of it. But she said, why don't you and I do something like that together and, you know, make horror be more inclusive and add more things? That, that's how it started, the whole thing, really. Yeah. So what are the ways in which you use the term horror in the book? What, what sorts of data are you looking at? Well, uh, there's, there's three. The first is uh, horror as a genre. And that's, that, that is, that, uh, Ellen brought in a theorist, a philosopher and a theorist of horror to this sort of conversation named Noel Carroll. And Noel Carroll has a distinction between art horror and natural horror. Now, the term art horror for me is difficult because it tends to, it, it, it evokes images of art house horror, like, like really highbrow horror films. But really what it means is horror aesthetics. So things that are meant to look scary, ghosts, haunted houses, spider webs, all the things you see on Halloween, which we're now uh, in the middle of. And then there's natural horror, which is things that you're naturally horrified of. So art horror would include vampires and ghosts, but natural horror could be um, a serial killer or some horrible historical event. So so there's two things here. So horror is a genre, art horror or aesthetic horror is one of the things we're interested in, especially as it, I mean, well, really exclusively as it manifests in Bollywood. And then the second is, goes along with the natural horror idea, the cinematic portrayals of real life horror, which we also see in Bollywood and sometimes which overlap with the first kind of horror. And then the third idea of horror, which is why the new book is called Bollywood Horrors, is uh, the experience of horror. And that that's what led us and me and also Kathleen uh, and also Aditi to think about uh, Rasa theory, uh, Sanskrit aesthetics, uh, in, in its way of understanding uh, you know, felt uh, emotions and um, responses to stimuli. So we looked at Horror as a genre, horror movies, traditionally horror movies, horror as it's portrayed on the screen, real life horrors as they're expressed, and then how you feel watching both. And the book is set up in three sections, uh, each um, uh, one one governed by each of those themes. So uh, we start off, the book starts off with a couple of contributions by Brian himself. So maybe you can tell us a bit about what you're showing in your work there. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, I have been a fan of these Indian horror movie posters ever since I first went to India and saw them and I started collecting them. They're not, there's only a few places you can get them and they're, they're sort of not around anymore because they make them all with computers now, but, but they're collectible. They're uh, they are found in, baz- in bazaars in really in Mumbai and Chor Bazaar in Mumbai and a couple of other places. And I've, I've always thought they were fascinating objects and I thought they had some significance and I wanted to write about them. So I went to a panel that Aditi and Ellen had done actually before the panel I was part of. And I met Aditi and we talked about our mutual love of the genre and its ephemera. And uh, then when I started thinking about this volume in the paper that I gave, I wanted to look at the images that are on these posters and in these song booklets advertising Bollywood horror movies in terms of Sanskrit aesthetics, in terms of Rasa. And that's how I started out. But then I continued to write more and more. And eventually I ended up with like a hundred page essay that they refused to publish because it was too long. And I, uh, I had to break it up and I broke it up into one part that talked about the posters and the and the 
song booklets, the advertising materials and as material objects and how they circulate and how they're preserved and why they're preserved and what sort of language of imagery they use. And then the second part was sort of started off as a footnote. I was researching the idea of horror in India and I came across a book called The Gothic Flame uh, by a guy named Devendra P. Varma. And it was, a, so it was a book about Gothic horror written in the mid 20th century by a, an Indian scholar of English literature. And so I was interested in it and I got to know a little bit more about him and I fell down a rabbit hole, eventually connected with his family in Canada, got into his archive and found out this was an incredible story of this man who started out in what's now Nepal and Bihar, uh, a high caste um, a Hindu who then, or a Hindu, sometimes a Buddhist, fought for the British in World War II. And, and this is not a joke, in, in a famous operation called Operation Dracula in Thailand. And then he became a, scholar, a professor of English literature. He knew Gandhi. He knew Nehru quite well. He was a cousin of Nehru's. Uh, he moved to Canada. He gave tours of Dracula's castle in Transylvania, which is not actually Dracula's castle. That's a long story. Uh, he held horror movie marathons or horror movie screenings anyway at the college. He taught it at Dalhousie and became known as Vampire Man Varma because of his popularization of classic vampire stories. I never heard of this guy. I don't know how I ever how I had missed him. And he was he appears virtually nowhere except for in the very small um, uh, gothic uh, gothic literature reviews and, and books. But as far as to do with India, I've never seen anything with him. So I, I decided to write about him, and that was the second part that I the second essay that I did. So the first one's about posters. The second one is a, is about Varma and his contributions to the adoption of gothic horror tropes in the West. Varma is a fascinating figure, it goes without saying, and it seems you have a knack for highlighting the work of fascinating figures <laughs> based on some of your projects, Brian. It's a hobby, yeah. It's more than a hobby. It is, it is, I'm I'm drawn to it. And I think that it's I think a compelling narrative is a good way to uh to I think academic work should have a compelling narrative because people get interested in it and you can actually have people think about it. That way, if, you know, if you're reading something because you're interested to hear what's going to happen next, you know that not all academic writing is like that. But I think it's nice when it can be. Well, it's the um, whether whether uh, it's it's the power of story, right? It's telling a story, even while you're giving a talk or presentation. I mean, you need to tell a story for nonfiction. You know, uh, some of the best scientists in the world are the ones that can present their material through it, through through an accessible narrative, right? Oh, I think that's true. That's, exactly. Uh, Fascinating. Um, maybe let's take a, a look at uh, the second, the second part of this fascinating volume. Um, Aliti, do you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah. So I come from uh, somebody who grew up in India and grew up through ghost stories, and uh, so that's my fascination with horror. And uh, Raz actually happened to be one of my all-time favorite films. So. And when I kind of first saw the film, actually, the film was, uh, when it released, it, it was quite interesting. I was first very interested in the tagline, do you want to know the secret? I thought that was a good, do you want to know the Raz? And that sort of drew me to that film. And when I saw it, my first impression was, oh, this is, in essence, Savitri and Satyawan, which he's twisted. That's fairly clever. It got terrible reviews. It was supposed to be bad. I thought it was 
quite very, very good. In fact, I do like Vikram Bhatt's work. Now, before this, I was actually, I have met uh, Tulsi Ramsey. I was writing an article on, um, you know, B-horror films, on how they're low budget, they're low budget films, which I did for a conference in Vilnius. And that paper got published and things like that. After that, I thought uh, it would be interesting to get to talk to Vikram Bhatt on his films. So I met Vikram Bhatt. We had a long conversation on a folktale ghost stories. And my work is actually looking not just at tropes that has always worked in Indian cinema, mainly Gothic. So I'm interested in the Gothic setup, ghost story, folklore he borrows from and why his films are so successful. You will not find a horror director who is besides Tulsi Ramsey. I mean, and they had Purana Mandir and few other hits. But nobody's had been more successful. Nobody's been more successful than uh, Vikram Bhatt, actually, commercially, if you think of it. And I was interested in commercial success as well as subversion and mental health. So my thing talks of three, because it's also about madness. Raz is also about madness. And uh, it was just, you know, thinking uh, way back, we had that suicide, you know, Shashant Singh Rajput's suicide and just... And uh, the talk on mental health took a backseat. So this whole thing about the whole problem of mental health and horror has been from the shining to everything has been very attractive to me. And I think Vikram Bhatt has actually handled it without sort of uh, being very, let's say he's not been very uh, subtle about it, but he has uh, sort of, you know, the way he treats, he's the one to talk about madness. And we don't have a lot of horror film. Maybe Pari in recent days talked a little bit about madness, maybe Gehrai. Uh, but, you know, and I think horror film today is getting more and more uh, trying new zones. That's the new thing in India. You have Bulbul, which is, of course, the Netflix film that's come out, which I was telling them that that film has got a lot of elements that we cover in the book, from vigilantism to mental health to... The feminism to all sorts of issues that it's trying to unpack. So, yeah, that's that's I'm going by tradition and how that within that tradition there's possibility of subversion in horror film. That's mm. well, just to clarify for our listeners, this uh, the illusion or the inversion of the, the 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 very famous narrative of Savitri and Satyavan. Are you saying that's conscious? Is that pers- purposeful? Uh, so I asked actually I asked Vikram if. Uh, you know, uh, that Savitri Satyavan, was it what happened? Like, were you really consciously thinking of it? And he said, of course. I, in fact, what happened was I wanted the film to end with that she saves his life, but she divorces him. That, you know, it it doesn't have to end happily. That was my first uh, draft. And then I said, well, this is India. I have to make my film a success. If Savitri is saving Satyavan, she has to you know, she has to stay there. She has to be there. So he is very conscious. He is very, very interested in, and, you know, he made another film called Creature. And that, while it's not a very good film, it is about a Brahmarakshas that's coming out of a tree. So he is interested in his folklore and uh, he's very, very interested in getting into this, even though he'll borrow a structure that's Hollywood, he is still going to go for something that's, very, very Indian. Having said that, 
while Ra's, of course, clearly has similarity with what lies beneath, there was a film called Mangal Sutra that came way before What Lies Beneath, and it's a very similar story too. So it's got a kind of interesting uh, subtext there. I always think, yes, he borrowed the structure. He kept it a mystery. In the end, you come to know that the husband's not a good guy and things like that. So his treatment is very good. I think his treatment is what makes it more successful too. He's not telling you a very unique story. Raz, if you think about the story, it's not unique. It's the treatment that makes it very... And it wasn't understood as a good film or something. In later years, though, people do acknowledge that Raz is an interesting film. So, and it was hugely successful. Yeah. That's fascinating. Do you want to say a word about the, the other two contributors' contributions to that section? Maybe, maybe first we can begin with horrifying and sinister tantrics. I can talk about Hugh. So Hugh Urban was actually, when we were we wanted to do the book, he was the first one we approached because Hugh Urban can write an article in about 10 minutes. And I thought I could, it'd be easy to start bulking this thing up with him. Uh, he's also lives down the, down the highway from me in, uh, in Columbus, Ohio. So he had been working already on um, the image of the Tantrika in horror films like, as a stock villain. Of course, he's also a stock character in uh, Indian drama. And so he's looking at that too. So he had a piece called Horrifying and Sinister Tantrics. And he actually had in some images that he had taken in India, which we ended up couldn't use because of copyright stuff. We had a hard enough time using the 10 images that I got. Uh, I had to hire a guy to go to Mumbai and find these rights for all these producers, which was a uh, undertaking. But anyway, with Hughes, um, he's, he's really going down the David Gordon White path of the development of the character of the Tantrika or the evil Yogan uh, through folklore, and then, you know, extending that to, to cinema. And so his is, his is sort of a typology of this character. It's, it, it's really, I think, a, an important contribution because it sort of stands as like an, almost like an encyclopedia article where you can get from there uh, a, a real clear picture of this, of this stock character of the black magician associated with all the stereotypes about Tantra in film. Then the other one that, um, Kathleen Erndl had contributed the one that she also, she gave a talk, she gave the talk on uh, in San Antonio, you know, she passed away suddenly uh, and very unexpectedly. So she had never had a chance to revise it. Uh, so we did very little revision. Ellen went through it and did a few things with um, her, her partner, um, with his partner's permission in, uh, in Florida. But she, she was really interested in, because her whole, her work is about the goddess. So we actually, we have a big picture of the goddess in the front with a dedication to her looking at the goddess as a, a prototype for um, the, a, a wronged woman getting her revenge. Uh, this is another cinematic trope. So both of those other articles from, um, from part two, I mean, so do you want to know the Raz is about a, a Hollywood filtered myth? And then these other two are about an avenging goddess reimagined as a wronged woman getting her revenge and uh, the horrifying and sinister tantric of of uh, Sanskrit drama reimagined as a, a movie villain. So that, that's, that's uh, in that, that section is called cinematic horror iconography and aesthetics. Yes, it was, it was fascinating. I didn't realize until I had read, I, 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 you know, uh, read this book for this podcast that, that the late great Kathleen Erndl had contributed to this before her, her sudden passing. It was, it was, um, it was um, really nice to read her, her paper, and uh, she mentions this text called the Devi Mahatmya that I've heard of once or twice. 
<laughs> so I just I just conjure up this uh, episode, uh, this third episode, Devi Mahatmya, where they come to the Mahadevi, you know, in all of her splendor, and like they're like, you know, if you don't come with us, if you speak that way, we're gonna drag you by your hair, <laughs> you know, this motif, right? And she's very coquettish, and eventually she obviously um, prevails, but. Um, uh, her paper is quite rich, actually. There's a lot in there. A lot, a lot of themes that can be teased out. hundred percent. I wish, and of course, we wish that she had was still around and that she had the chance to to develop it more. But yeah, you can see there the germ of a whole new direction, uh, a sort of an updating of the of the idea. You know, she's looking at it in all these ancient and medieval contexts. But yeah, I, I I agree with you, and I'm I'm very pleased that we were able to conclude it. Wonderful. So, Ellen, do you want to talk a little bit about your contribution and or the section, the third section that it occurs in? Sure. Um, so, I mean, as Aditi said, you know, during conversations that we've had over the years, uh, uh, exploring our differences and uh, my lack of knowledge of, of art horror, Bollywood art horror, um, and my feeling that that we really do need to expand the definition of horror if we're going to work together to a place that I can include something, uh, so, sort of got us talking about this notion of cultural horror, which I think is in a, a kind of a, a semantic extension of Noel, Noel Carroll, Noel Carroll, sorry, uh, um, uh, natural horror. But for me, it's something that is then uh, a kind of cinematic portrayal of real life horror. And this could be in any of the arts. I mean, it could be in film, it could be in literature, it could be in drama, it could be in, you know, whatever. Um, so I think there are a number of examples we could have included in the book uh, beyond the ones that we did include. Uh, we include a chapter, my chapter on fundamentalism or on uh, communalism. Uh, we have uh, Morgan Odie's chapter on rape by looking at Bandit Queen. And of course, we have uh, Beth's chapter on, on child trafficking. So these were three of the of the chapters that we included in the cultural horror section. Um, in my particular chapter, um, I look at Govind uh, Nihalani's 2002 film on Dev, um, and I think that what we see here is a really profound um, uh, graphic uh, depiction of this real life horror of the recurring Hindu Muslim communal violence that took place in Gujarat. And what I try to do really in the chapter is to show um, uh, first by looking at sort of the history of communalism as briefly as I can, of course, to unpack some of that, uh, to show how um, we have these recurring haunting effects of social trauma uh, that were, I'm going to track back as far as partition, let's say, okay, colonialism, decolonization, partition, and so on. and. Um, Although Dev is, is certainly depicting a fictionalized account of the 2002 riots in Gujarat, um, I think that it is um, certainly a powerful reconstruction, fictional reconstruction of that cultural horror moment. And so I tried to tease out some of the complex narrative by looking at um, some theorists, including Hannah Arendt and her of the banality of evil. I look at um, Freud and his theories of the uncanny. And I think that both of those really do help to um, kind of explore the work of repression um, and show how the ghosts of the past continue to 
uh, haunt us, right? Especially if, as uh, Baskar says, there isn't a way to, to mourn what has happened, right? So um, I think the horror that we see reaches what um, Tanaka Sarkar says is a kind of a point of unspeakable brutality. And um, I know that my chapter is probably the most depressing of, <laughs> of all of the chapters in the book, but I think it's also uh, something that needs to be, needs to be, really needs to be um, um, uh, talked about and understood and um, unpacked and theorized and uh, analyzed. Um, I guess also what I, one of the other things that I think I was trying to talk about really is, is to show how art, in this case film, can really be a cathartic way to express trauma and to kind of mediate the unspeakable, things that we can't talk about. Um, my partner is an expressive art therapist, and so she works with art and different modalities. And I've always learned from her that um, there are ways that we can't just talk about things, that we need other uh, modalities to express them. And I think that art can be one of those ways. And so one of the things that I say in my conclusion, and I, I, I was actually um, at a, par a conference in Paris, I guess it was two summers ago when we could still travel. Um, and I was approached by a number of people on the, on, uh, who, who came to the panel about how there has never really been any kind of uh, memorialization of, of what has happened around partition. And if it's true that Nehru didn't provide the space for people to mourn what happened for whatever political reasons, um, then I think that something like Dev and other films that depict these kinds of moments of cultural horror belong in a kind of archive of truth and reconciliation so that we can, we can um, pay homage to and, and learn from a kind of transmission of, of cultural memory um, where we can really understand where these ghosts of recurring violence, why they recur over and over and over again. So that was sort of my, my, my kind of purpose in writing this particular chapter. I can't speak to um, Morgan uh, so much other than to say that we were at a, we were at a departmental meeting and um, I asked her if she would be interested in writing a, a, a chapter on Bandit Queen. And she, she said, let me watch it. And I thought about her that weekend watching that film. And I was sure she was going to say, I can't do that. And she came back the next, the next week and said, I would love to write something about that. It's, it's in her field. And maybe Aditi can speak more about that because I think I was on sabbatical while this was being while well, the two of them were, were doing that discussion. But, and again, the same with Mardani and Beth's chapter on Mardani, you know, talking about child trafficking, profoundly uh, cultural horror. It's cultural horror, right? Well, we, we know a thing or two about cultural horrors, I think, as you mentioned at the, in the preface, one of you mentions in the preface of the book, um, and how well-timed is this podcast without being consciously timed that we're more or less around the time of, of Halloween, where the ghosts and ghouls come out, and we're also just on the cusp of um, of a very important moment in the history of the Earth, <laughs> also known as the American elections. So, um, if when you say your chapter is perhaps the most depressing, if you mean perhaps the most evocative, then I might be inclined to agree. <laughs> um, 
it is it is ironic in a way that it is four years after the election that this book is now going to be published. Um, it, yes. It's really a completion on some some very deep, profound level, I think. We hadn't planned on a four-year process, I should say. This wasn't this wasn't the uh, intent. <laughs> it's, it's highly veiled cultural criticism <laughs> at the exact moment that it's needed. Um, oh, good job! <laughs> um, and they see what we do at the academy isn't relevant. Look at this. <laughs> exactly. Um, I have uh, two uh, sort of broad questions, as you. Probably well know I play the part of, of, of naive interlocutor, sort of I call the 30,000 foot view to get a sense of the book for those who may be interested in delving further for research or interest or teaching. I was going to ask the question separately, but because of the, the, the unique texture of the book uh, in terms of uh, its discipline, I'll ask them in tandem and you can kind of answer them together if you like. One question that comes to mind is, well, who might be interested in this book? You know, who's this book for? And the other question that comes to mind is, where does this book fit in scholarship? Like, where, like what is it in dialogue with? Or, or what is it sort of, is it branching off and doing its own thing? Is it continuing conversations in different, uh, uh, you know, echo chambers previously? Like, where does that fit? And maybe those questions uh, can relate in some way. I, I'll, I'll, I'd love to start answering this and then pass it on. Uh, so, yeah, these are the questions that we were asked ourselves many times and that we were asked many times by publishers. Uh, and, and I think, to me, the, 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 who's it for? It, so I saw a lot of interesting work being done about Southeast Asian and East Asian horror films in their cultural contexts. And I didn't see much of anything about South Asian. Now, that started to change around the time we were working on this in the, in the 2010s. Um, in the middle of the 2010s and some good work has come out and we, I, I which we try to give it all uh, as it was up to the minute in our um, preface. Uh, but there's a Indian horror has been overlooked mainly uh, in, in world cinema. It's treated as an oddity as a kind of a joke because of the low budgets and because of the juxtaposition of this singing and dancing disco scenes with this, you know, monster with the plastic fangs. Uh, but, you know, I, I, this is also, you know, it, it's important to think of this as a lot of this is emergency cinema. This is coming out of a very traumatic uh, moment. And so I think that people that want to understand Indian culture post-liberalism, really, and the elements, how elements of religion and, and, even, and we would say maybe the parareligious elements about things like possession and demonology, um, you know, and we could talk about where we want to, where religion ends and where magic begins, but maybe a different time. But you see here a really a lot of material that has not been closely looked at by religionists. Now, cinematic scholars are starting to look at it, but religionists haven't been. And for us, uh, it, there's a lot of the questions that were raised are about religion. I mean, so the idea of natural horror versus art horror. Art horror or aesthetic horror, Noel Carroll says that's what it is because the things in those movies or those stories disturb the natural order. So if it's just a scary person or like a scary dog, yeah, you might be horrified, but if it's a demon, then you have to give up your whole worldview about what's, what's rational and what's real. And that's the trauma of it. So in India, it's really not clear where that line is because possession is not as out of ordinary thing in, uh, in, in temple traditions, especially around the goddess or even, even others. 
Uh, so there are things in in culture that uh, I mean, tantricas are real people too. I mean, they don't do the same things in movies, but they're also real. Agoris are real people, so you can't say, "Oh, this is just a fake movie," and then go outside the theater and see that person standing on the corner asking for money or whatever. So we we really have to think about this in religious terms, and and that's and that's what I wanted to do with this is to take um make this material available, show what it is, uh, and what can what kind of questions we can ask of it and so that other religious studies scholars uh, can can go forward with a project or can you know can start asking their own kind of questions. And then the the idea of who's gonna um of who's gonna who's gonna who wants the book. Is that your is that the other part of the question? Or? Who might be interested? Yeah, so right. Who might be might be interested. I I think we could we've appealed to people who are interested in world cinema. I mean, I, 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 horror fans tend to be pretty nerded out, right? I mean, I understand me and the DT know this cause we're horror fans that, you know, I was, before I ever went to graduate school, I would read any book about horror fiction or horror movies to just to learn more about the history and, and including global cinema. So I, I think that there is a, a sort of a need in the, or a desire in the fandom world to kind of expand their knowledge or deepen their knowledge of the history of the genre that they are so into, of course, the, I don't think, I don't know how close we're going to get to breaking into that market. Probably not very, uh, but for, for other people though, this is, it must be a totally unknown, an unknown part of Indian culture that then can be, I think, you know, uh, sort of trotted out as something you should take a look at. Absolutely. Even, even as, as someone like myself who fancies himself a scholar of Hinduism, I mean, there's so much content here that is definitely overtly religious that I, wouldn't have been aware of and perhaps have even uh, perhaps might even have overlooked because of the ways in which we receive horror or even think about cultural horror um uh uh Aditi or ellen do you have anything you wanted to add about uh the conversation about sort of scholarship or, or interests or readership of the book i will actually add a little bit about adding beth into the uh, Beth is a very, very good friend of mine, and she is fairly famous on Twitter as Beth Loves Bollywood. So she and I actually met on Twitter because of her love for cinema, and she loves 70s films. But then we met, and uh, I told her that, uh, you know, we were thinking of this book, and she said, but she's not a big horror fan. Like, she, she watches the Ramses only for horror, so she's not... She enjoys, but she's not. And then I told her, well, she there's a you know, you like Mardani. That's one of the films she loved. And uh, that's how and Beth is a museum curator. So her interest purely came from as a lover of Hindi cinema. And then in some ways her journey as she we went back and forth, discussed, she does know India very well, though she's been there. So for her to actually unpack the whole journey of, you know, looking at, well, I never thought of Mardani as an avenging goddess, but she's a police, she's a cop and what it becomes duty. So all that in her process also, she discovered this whole new field and, and she has this very good, uh, you know, chapter. But I think in some ways our, point for who will be interested is also people who are interested in Bollywood 
anyone who's taken a lot of interest in Bollywood, just, and I'm using Beth as a classic example, she loves Bollywood and she's in this book. And uh, that's the interest too. That's, I think anyone who has been interested in Indian cinema, how Bollywood works, that would be, I mean, and, and this book has a very, it's not a cinema studies book. It is more for religious uh, understanding. None of us come from really cinema studies field at all, but we are looking at a very different way of understanding. So I think anyone who likes Bollywood and is interested in religion and Hinduism in India would be very interested in this book. That's at least my understanding. I mean, I would only add that I think it would make a great book for a course. Um, I came, without, without question. Yeah, I mean, I came to this also through uh, a course that I was teaching and um, with, with Aditi's help. Um, and it's when I went to look for uh, course, course materials that address these kinds of issues uh, specific to religious studies students, I really couldn't find very much. And so I think this would be great for that. And the other thing I just want to say is I also, uh, this idea of creating this category called cultural horror, um, while this, I think this could also be a standalone next book for someone. I would like to see this open up to more discussion around these kinds of issues um, in art, particularly film for me, but it could be in any other kind of venue. Um, so I, I would like to see that also happen. You know, it's not just about where it's come from, but where it could go to. I'm glad you, I'm glad that you made that point because uh, I was partially hoping you would. I try as best as possible not to put words in people's mouths <laughs> on these podcasts in particular, but, 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 but for me, I, I could easily see this somewhat starting various trends or subtrends in scholarship because it's a novel combination that's not um it's not outlandish right it's 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 a, you know i mean for me the most accessible point of access is, is kathleen Arundel's work because i happened to study the goddess and in, in sanskrit narrative and obviously i mean i was i was quoting her from my undergrad days right i mean she, right so um and there's so much there just there's so much that can be developed Right. right. So I can only imagine uh, our colleagues in other subfields studying uh, Hinduism or, or, or Indian cinema or whatnot. I can only imagine the synapses that may fire were they to kind of uh, have a look at, uh, at, at, at what you put together here. And also, I think it's, you know, it's 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 a very creative project that goes beyond just looking at Lagan, you know, which is is one of the typical films that you might find in a religion and uh, a Bollywood and religion course or. Uh, the Journal of Film Studies. Um, so I think it's really, it's, it's experts in their fields writing about things that they know best and relating them to uh, these, these topics that they've chosen, whether it's racism or whether it's uh, Savitri, it doesn't matter, but it's these, these really mature scholars who are bringing the best that they have to unpack these films that haven't been unpacked by experts like this before. Mm. Now, are the strands uh, of scholarship in this in this volume, are any of you pursuing them elsewhere? Like, are you working on similar themes or projects currently? I think Aditi is. No, I'm actually doing something. My next that's coming out is uh, 
it should be out next year soon because it's already gone to the press is a chapter on hindi comics and horror so it's sort of similar but it's on a collection on south asian gothic and it's about gothic themes so it's sort of an extension but on hindi comics though so i'm looking at uh, a whole range of hindi comics that has been uh, you know th- those have nothing to do with amar chitra katha that has been the uh, foundation but i'm looking at all kinds of uh, different uh, types of hindi comics and horror comics exclusively horror comics so that's yeah and brian actually knows a bit about hindi horror comics when i told him what i was working on he immediately said have you covered friendly that's chucky i'm like yes mm-hmm. yes brian friendly <laughs> is pretty great friendly <laughs> is good yes so so I actually one thing that that really I got interested a new a sort of a new approach for me that I went that I used in this in this collection or in my essay on the posters in the in the um, uh, song booklets was to look at them as as objects rather than just something that holds the text as a physical object that has been around for a while and that has had different owners and that it has washed up in uh, in the tour bazaar next to a bunch of other weird stuff. Uh, that they sell to tourists and um, collectors. And so I thought, well, you know, I just don't think much about, you know, objects. And so I started reading Arjuna Potterai's work on, on things. And it was really eye-opening. Uh, and I, I, I thought I'd take that approach of looking at them as physical objects in situ, photographing them and not, and not cropping out the edges where the brittle paper is coming, up, is coming apart, but actually show not just the image of the poster, but this actual poster, which is now, you know, on this campus in a little flat file. So I, I got one object though, that I had to leave out of the study because I just didn't have room was, was there was a brief period uh, and, and it was, it was cresting. It was about the end when I was, was in India uh, in 2008 or so of VCDs and VCDs, video CDs. They were, they were a, uh, they were meant to, they were meant to be a, 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 a format that came between VHS and DVD, but they didn't really launch in the U.S. And DVDs came out and there was no need for VCDs because they're much smaller. They only hold 800 megabytes or whatever. Uh, but they became popular in parts of Asia, including in India. And so because they're light, they're cheap. You put them in a paper or plastic envelope with a mimeograph of whatever movie you've pirated and sell them. So I started I have a lot of these VCDs. and. They also are repositories of really strange original art, uh, and and you, know, you have a, a sort of a lot of religious devotional movies sitting right next to um, pirated copies of uh, Freddy versus Jason, right or or uh, Spider Man, and and so I, I those VCDs I thought were um, this, people have written about them in Southeast Asia and, and in Japan interesting interesting stuff, so I wanted to do a piece about that and I've got it. Uh, on the back burner of the back burner. At some point, though, I will return to the to the circulation of uh, video compact discs in the 2000s, specifically horror ones. Fascinating. Was there anything about the volume uh, you hoped we touch on in this interview that we we haven't uh, as of yet? Well, one thing I'd say is that you know we kind of assumed from the beginning of this conversation. Oh, everybody knows what Hindi horror is because we've been talking about it for four years <laughs> amongst each other. But most people are, are, a lot of people are just unaware that these films exist because they're not there. Except for recently, they weren't 
classically the blockbusters. There was a period in the in the late eighties when when there were a few, but they are not the typical um, uh, Indian successful film. Some of them are very low budget, uh, and 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 only played like at, at noon or at midnight in theaters where people weren't only people that were seeking them out would see them. And so there is a genre of film that really goes back to the beginning of Indians, or at least to the twenties and thirties when the Gothic themes started getting imported of, um, of ghosts, sometimes through sometimes reincarnation stories that are ghostly other times demons from Indian folklore and mythology uh, that, that has a level of, uh, of, of popularity cult fandom in India. They're, they are, less well-known than your, uh, than, than your major Bollywood films or Tollywood films. But um, if you've never seen one, then you can just Google the Ramsey brothers and, and they've got four or five really big ones that you can see. So uh, if, if this all sounds completely new, then, then you've, you've got to kind of first find a, an Indian horror movie to see what we're talking about. They're, they're quite unique. Yes. I suppose we should have started with that question. Shouldn't we have, <laughs> blame me <laughs> that's fine i'm sure people will will google it or some such thing um great so um unless there's something else you wanted to touch on uh shall we close for today ellen did you, was there something you wanted to say i'm good i'm good i feel complete <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, it's whole we, we we arrived at the completion we did. Of, of, of the sacrifice <laughs> Wow, here we go. Well, what right. I should say, Patricia, is that I, I did leave out, we have color plates in this. Yes. In this film. Yes. And I did, we, had, we went to some link in the book. We went to some links to get um, glossy color plates of these posters, some of which have never been reproduced anywhere else. So that is a, if, if you want a reason to get the book, that's it. Sure. If you want a very uh, erudite comic book, uh, or something <laughs> to brighten your day <laughs> in the most nerdy possible uh, Hindu studies way, then get this book. <laughs> so for those of you listening, we have been speaking for the first time ever uh, with uh, three individuals uh, on the same podcast with Ellen Goldberg, Aditi Sen, and Brian Collins, who are all editors of um, Bollywood Horrors, Religion, Violence, and Cinematic Fears in India, a brand new uh, Bloomsbury academic publication. Thank you all for appearing on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time, stay safe, keep reading, keep listening, and keep contemplating horrors of all kinds. <laughs> Take care.